Kilda, good evening. Welcome. I know you guys just love each other, love hanging out, but let's just bring it back. I'm gonna just take the next few minutes to, to open our book of Exodus that we're journeying through. And I want to start tonight by talking about memory. I don't know how. I know some of you are studying for exams slash cramming for exams right now, and you're like. I will take any piece of advice on memory. I don't know that I'm going to be a big help there, but I, I, I don't know about you, but I wonder what the, the, the most random thing you remember is, like the most, the, the least useful piece of information. Like, like I know Graham Gooch scored the highest uh, test score for England, 333 in 1990. Like I've never needed that piece of information. When I was 14, I learned to spell the word diarrhea. I've never, ever forgotten it, okay? But I've never gone to the doctors and gone, I've got a bit of a dodgy tummy. And he'd go, oh, I'll prescribe you something. If only I could spell the word. Fear not. You prescribe it, I'll tell you. And it doesn't happen. Like, these are just pointless things. I've never needed to know that word. And yet I find myself forgetting the most, uh, like, insignificant things or important things in a moment. Jenny, my wife, will go, can you go and get something from the car? And I will get to the car and think, I have no idea what I just came for. I've literally walked five steps and it's, it's fallen out of my mind. Anybody sort of head to the kitchen and go, completely forgotten what I came for, must be in the fridge. Like, and I'm just sort of chomping on a giant chunk of cheese just thinking, it'll come back to me any moment now. You see, we have a habit of forgetting things. We have a habit, even things that are most important. You know, I don't know, and, and I'm throwing it out there, I don't know that I've ever actually forgotten somebody's birthday, somebody significant in my life. If I've forgotten yours, I either have forgotten or you're not significant to me. Uh, you interpret what you want out of that moment. But anyway... I don't, like, I've never forgotten my wife's birthday, my children's birthday. I've never, I've never forgotten an anniversary. And, and, but I know there are people out there who definitely have done that. And you're like, you know, you, you, you buy a card last minute from the dairy. And the person knows that it was a dairy card. You know, like, I forgot and I've got you this one. It's got puppies on it and you're a cat person. Anyway, but, you know, we have a habit of even forgetting the most important things. And, and you would think that as Israel journeys out of slavery, having spent 400 years there and begin to enter freedom, you would think that if God delivered them powerfully, they would never forget that. And yet time and time again in Israel's history, we find them forgetting. We, we find them forgetting this, this incredible moment. And so as we look at this, this scripture today, as we look at Exodus 13, 14, what you find is God saying, I know that people have a habit of forgetting the most important things. And it's not that they don't think they're important. It's just that life happens. And, and we forget sometimes to come back to that which is most important. And so God wants to make sure they never, ever forget. But one of the things that you find as we read through, and we're not going to read through all of it. We're going to dip in and out of these two chapters in Exodus. But, but as, we, as we dip in and out, one of the things you're going to find is this word that keeps coming up. It's not just a word. It's a name. It's the name Lord. And whenever in the Old Testament you see that capitalized, it is telling you that the translators, those precious Bible translators, have translated the Hebrew word Yahweh. The God who is eternal. The God who reveals himself simply as I am. It gave that name to Israel, gave that name to his people. It effectively means, you are I am. 
That's what it effectively means. It's their way of saying, you're the one who reveals himself as I am. And you see it coming up again and again and again. And here's what this shows us. As Israel journeys out of slavery and into freedom, they are to remember forever that it didn't happen by accident. The architect of their freedom and the deliverer that brought them into freedom had a name. His name is Yahweh. And for us as as followers of Jesus, or or if you're exploring that tonight, what we're inviting you into in in following Jesus is that Yahweh is Jesus. He is the architect of freedom. He is the deliverer. He is the one who brings us into freedom. You know, and in this series, we've been using Exodus as a sort of lens to say, what do we learn about freedom? And tonight, here's what we learn. Freedom, true freedom only comes from one place. True freedom only comes from one place. We're going to dive into these two chapters right now. And as we do, I want to pick out three things. That freedom only comes from one place. So what? So so what does that actually mean for me? Well, freedom only comes from one place. Here's the first thing I want us to know. If it only comes from one place, so it is important that we remember. As, as Israel, if you remember back to last week, I don't know if you were around or if you caught up online, but, but Sarah took us through the, the, the fact that Israel, um, that the God judged Egypt with 10 plagues. And, and because of that, Israel then begins to take their first steps into freedom, their first steps of walking free. And as they do, in, their, in the middle of their escape, God says, here's two things that I want you to do. When you walk in freedom, when you enter this new life, here are two things that I want you to do. The first is this festival of, called Unleavened Bread. And every year on the anniversary of them walking free, they would, remember, they would take a week out and they would remember that moment. And the way they would do that is over seven days, they would, they would remove yeast from their homes. And, and by removing yeast, they would then have to eat flatbreads because without the yeast, the bread doesn't rise. And it was a very practical reason why they would do that. Because when they, when they left Egypt, God said, God said, it's going to happen in a moment. So you're going to eat a special meal. You're, you're to wear travel clothes, sort of like gym gear and running shoes. You'll be, you're to be ready to run at a moment's notice. And, and we need speed. So we're thinking speed food, like microwaves haven't been invented. So we'll go for flatbreads, because then you don't have to wait for the bread to rise. And so the way they were to remember the fact that they left in haste was that they ate bread without yeast for seven days. Every Every single year after this moment. And as you dive into Exodus 13, we're going to go from verse 8. We begin to understand why. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your, on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth for the Lord For Yahweh, for the Lord, brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. Do you notice one thing? This was to be a sign. It was to be like a sign on their hand. This practice was to be so familiar to them that they would know it like the palm of their hand. That it was be so familiar to them that, that it was like looking at their forehead in a mirror. You know, it was, the, it was to be that familiar to them so that they would never forget. You know, today is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. And, and the symbol that is synonymous with that is the poppy. Because poppies grew in the fields where those battles were fought. And so they said, let's have a sign. 
Let's wear poppies and that is going to help us remember. That will act like a sign. If you ever see a poppy, for me, certainly as an English guy, when I see a poppy, I only think one thing. It is so familiar, but it makes sure that I never forget what happened. And this practice was to be like that. Never forget that God brought you out in haste. Notice the other thing. It says, on that day, explain to your son... Explain to your son. It was a way of not only, not only for that generation to remember, but that they would pass on the story so that the next generation would identify. The next generation knew that the freedom they enjoyed came because in the generation before, God had done something significant. So it was to be a sign. It was to help them remember, but it was also to help them explain. It was also to help them pass it on. But what was the one name that that was all meant to point to? Lord, Yahweh. Then you get the, 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 this offering of the firstborn where, um, where whenever a cow had a calf, whenever a sheep had a lamb, whenever a mom had a little baby boy, those firstborn were to be dedicated to the Lord. They were to be, they, they were, they, it was like they belonged to him. And so if that was a sheep or, or a calf, they would sacrifice that as an offering to God. But if it, was a, if, it was a, if it was a boy, if it was a son, clearly that gets awkward. You don't sacrifice children. So they paid something instead. It was a redemption price to, to effectively buy back that son. What was it there for? It was to remind them that when God judged Egypt, the way that, it, that, that judgment was finally seen was in the death of the firstborn of that nation. And how did you know that Israel had been passed over? Because the firstborn of their animals, the firstborn of their their children survived. And God says, never, ever, ever forget that. And so whenever you have a son, you're to buy him back. Whenever, Whenever a little first lamb is born, whenever a sheep has a first lamb, you're to sacrifice that. You're to offer it to me because you are to remember Notice when you come down to verse 14, it says this. In the future, when your son asks you, see similar pattern. When your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both firstborn of humans and the firstborn of livestock. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord all the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead for the Lord, for Yahweh, brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. You see, this is to be a sign for them. Not an annual thing, but whenever this happens, do this. Because it's going to remind you, it's going to be a sign for you. It's going to make sure that this moment of freedom that, that God brought about is, is so familiar that you never, ever, ever forget it. And it's also going to give you the opportunity to pass it on to your son, pass it on to your children, pass it on to the next generation. Because Yahweh is the one who brought about freedom. Do you see, again and again, I'm sort of emphasizing it. Freedom only comes from one place. So they were to remember. It makes me think of our own calendar. You know, it makes me think of, of, the, of our own year, of our own schedule. What are those moments that enable us to remember that which is most important for us? You know, in like six weeks' time or so, Christmas is coming. I'm sure that hasn't escaped your notice. You know, we get Halloween out of the way, and then suddenly you can't walk into Kmart without Christmas carols. Like, let's be honest, that's just a fact. You can't avoid the fact that Christmas is coming. But that is a moment for us. 
That is a moment for people who say, I believe in Jesus, to come around and remember this incredible truth that the eternal, infinite God took on the flesh, the humility, the humanity of a little baby. Like that truth should blow our mind again and again. We should never get used to that. And so can I say, I think we should prioritize Christmas. Maybe it's not your thing. But can I say, can we prioritize Christmas as a church community and come together and say, we are going to remember. We're never going to forget this. So significant is it? Because this is the moment. Christmas is the moment where we remember God's rescue mission sort of being seen in human form for the first time. But I also want to suggest that Christmas is one of those moments that isn't just allowing us to remember. But also the church these days is the only place you're really going to hear the story of Christmas. The place you're only really going to hear that narrative. And so there's an element in what we do that we are passing it on to the next generation. That we're going to gather in this room over the 16th and the 23rd of, of December. We're going to gather. It's like one big family. We're going to gather with kids and everything. And, and we're going to remember together. And we, as we do, as we tell the story, we're going to pass it on to the next generation. But can I suggest for us that next generation isn't just children. It is the next generation of Jesus followers. It's people who've never heard that story. It's people who've never responded appropriately to that story. Can we, can we, can we as a church community say, it would be awesome if we invited our city to hear. It would be incredible to do that. I was standing outside last night. I love when you get to sort of spring and summer and suddenly the neighbors begin to come out. And, and, and I'm talking to my next door neighbor, Jones. And, and, and he said, hey, what's going on for you? And I said, hey, uh, Christmas is coming and that's always a busy time for us. And, and I said, I'd love you to come to our service. He says, I won't miss it. I won't miss it. He doesn't know Jesus. I don't know what he knows of the Christmas story, but he's going to come to our Christmas service. Who are you praying for? We produce some incredible invites. Take them and prayerfully say, who am I going to say, I want to pass the story of Christmas on to? Because not, it's not good enough just for me to remember. I want to make sure other people get to hear. You know, I think our Sunday services are moments to remember. You know, growing up for me, I was born into a Christian home. I, I, I ran away from that in my teens, but I was born, I was literally sort of carried into church when I was like five days old. And, and church was just like something you did on a Sunday. Week in, week out. I'm so grateful to my parents that they created a habit. They created a priority in our family of being together with other Jesus followers on a Sunday. You know, and I think in our day, it, it, it tends to get, it's a bit unfashionable. You know, it's just one of those things. I might go to church, but there's other things. And so I'll see what's on and then I'll make a call. Can I suggest that is the wrong way around? You know, when we gather as a church community, it's significant. We don't meet on, I'm, I'm not saying, let, let's just bring back this religious sort of law. Let's, let, let's say, right, you are not a proper Jesus follower if you're not in church on a Sunday. Like, I'm not suggesting that that is the case. But I am saying that there is something significant that happens when a group of people gather and say, we're going to sing praise to our God. Do you know praise is powerful? Do you know God sets ambushes against the enemy when we praise his name? There's something significant about that. There's something significant. Do you know that that this book is described as God's word? Hebrews tells us it is powerful and effective. 
This is not, I'm not just up here like some, any other TED talk, okay? I'm not just standing, standing here, like, you know, sharing an idea worth sharing. This is the revelation of the eternal God. It is a living word, a powerful word, an active word. And so when we open this book and we, and we say, Spirit of God, would you bring to light what is written here that, that we might be changed? I expect extraordinary things to happen. And you know, I don't apologize that in a Sunday service, it gets a little bit familiar at times. You know, we sing some songs and there's always a message and we share communion and there's always some notices. And You know, like, I, I never apologize. Notice with the, first, the sacred practices that Israel had. They were to be like the palm of their hand. They were to be as familiar to them as like their foreheads. It was to be like this great sign on their forehead. I don't apologize for these things being familiar but I don't, don't assume that if they're familiar that somehow they're just ordinary. When we gather in the name of Jesus, the presence and power of God is here. And because of that, I expect great things. Are our gatherings a priority for you? You know, there's, a, there's another thing we do every single time we gather together. We share communion. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 11... This is what Paul wrote about it. He's describing how Jesus gave us this practice. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Notice, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance. Make sure you never, ever forget. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant, the, 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 the price that's paid for the new agreement, the new relationship that's being established between humanity and God. The covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But notice this verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you see those two things again? Communion is about us remembering, but communion is also about us proclaiming. It's also about sharing the message, and, and it's an awesome opportunity. I know that people, when, whenever we have services, people come who don't yet know Jesus, and if that describes you tonight, I want to say you are so welcome. And you might think as we take, eat bread and drink juice, you're like, that is so weird. It's not even a proper drink. It's not even a proper sandwich. But we're not doing it because we're hungry or thirsty, Okay. We're doing it because we want to remember that which is most important to us. It's like inconceivable to us that we would come together and have a nice time and not come to a moment where we say, we're going to remember that which is most important and also share with one another, proclaim with one another. This is about Jesus. And you know what? He died and he rose again and he is coming again. See, freedom only comes from one place. So we remember him. Two other things I want us to, I want us to see. Not only does, if freedom comes from one place, do we remember him? But if freedom only comes from one place, then it's so important that we follow him. Join me in verse 20 of chapter 13. It says this, They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the, edges, on the edge of the wilderness. Funny I said those two names and then I stumbled on edge. Like, <laughs> go figure. 
on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord, Yahweh, notice that. If you've got a pen, maybe underline that in your Bible. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel by day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. They were about to walk out of slavery and into freedom. You imagine 400 years. Every day they got up, this is what you used to do. This is what you used to do. This is what you used to do. This is your quota. These are the bricks you're going to make. You know, 400 years of slavery. Never had a day of choice in their life. Suddenly they walk free and the world is their oyster. God says, you want to know? I, 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 I brought about freedom for you. But you want to know how to stay free? You want to know actually how to do that journey? You want to be directed in your choices? Then here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put my power and presence right in the middle of your community. Follow it. Follow it. And even at night when you don't really know where you're going and you can't tell the direction to take, I'm going to turn that into fire. And this passage tells us that Yahweh, the very power and presence of God, was present right in the middle of that cloud, right in the middle of that fire. This practice for Israel would be commemorated for years to come in the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would camp out in tents reminding them of their journey through the wilderness. And and at that festival of tabernacles, they would light big lamps. And it was to remind them when we were in the wilderness, we followed a pillar of fire. Incredible then that at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stands up. And he says, I'm the light of the world. In full view of these big lamps, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, I'm Yahweh. I was the one in the pillar of cloud. I was the one in the pillar of fire. You want to know how to live free? You want to know how to navigate this world? Follow me. You know, one of the big themes of our gatherings as we remember Jesus is working out, church, what does it look like to follow Jesus? You know, you know, we do that in, in small group community. If you are not in a life group, can I encourage you to do so? That's the very best way to find community. It's also the very best way to gather in a small group and say, What does it look like to follow Jesus? Like I have no pillar of cloud. I have no pillar of fire. Like I don't actually know what I'm doing. How do we follow Jesus? How do we not only become free, but actually remain free? Like how do we navigate the the difficulties of this life? Gathering community. We open up the, the, the Bible. We believe Jesus is the author, the ultimate author of this book. We want to hear from him. We, we believe that we're able to approach him in prayer. We believe he's present in community. Can I encourage you, prioritize community. It's so key for us as Israel, as a group, follows this pillar of fire. So I believe we as a group discover together what it looks like to follow Jesus. So freedom only comes from one place. We remember him and we follow him. And finally, I want you to see that we trust him. They follow this cloud and it leads them, if you're familiar with the story, to the very edge of the Red Sea. And at this point, Pharaoh changes his mind and he's like, actually, it's not really that great that we lost all these slaves. I don't know how we're going to get that work done. Let's follow them. Let's chase them. And so all of a sudden, like Israel, who are not prepared for battle, have got the Red Sea on one side and this marauding army on the other. 
Go forget, they begin to complain. <laughs> like, God, did we only come here because there just weren't enough graves in Egypt? Like, they are in pain. But notice what Moses says at this moment. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord, Yahweh, will fight for you and you must be quiet. They come to this moment and God has led them there because they need to discover something about Yahweh that they hadn't yet realized. They come, God leads them to this place where they have this marauding army on one side and, and, and on the other side, this giant sea. And they can see freedom. Like they can literally see where they want to be. But they're stuck. And, and on one side is slavery. On one side is oppression. And, and yet on the other side is freedom. And they just can't get across. There's, there's no way they can swim across. There's no bridge across. They can't buy their way across. They are stuck in an impossible situation. And yet as they realize there's nothing they can do, they learn that there's nothing they have to do. Notice what it says. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation, the Lord's rescue that he will accomplish for you. God causes this great east wind to come and parts the sea. Like literally just parts it so that it stands up like a wall on either side. And he creates dry ground for them to walk through. And when they get to the other side and the Egyptians follow them through, the waters come crashing back. And destroy their enemy. And suddenly, this barrier that was in the way of them experiencing freedom was suddenly, the sea was suddenly in the way of slavery. They, would, they never needed to go back there again. One of the things I want you to see as we sort of bring, begin to bring this to a close is that these seas in some way represent judgment. That these were the seas that ultimately destroyed some of the Egyptians. It was, and, and yet, and yet, Israel walks into freedom as they're able to walk through these seas of judgment unscathed. God parts them. He creates a way for them and they walk through by faith. I want you to see tonight that the whole of humanity at some point stands where Israel stood. On one side, we have disobeyed God. We have disregarded God. We have rejected God. And it wasn't even just that that was a choice. It's like we're in slavery to it. We just can't help it. And and yet on the other side is freedom. On the other side is relationship with the living God. But what stands between us and Him is this great sea of judgment. And you can't buy your way across there. You can't good behavior your way across there. There's no other God, no other belief, no other worldview that will even get you one step across that sea. It just won't happen. And yet as we come to a moment where we can't do anything for ourselves, we realize that there's nothing we have to do. That when God sent His one and only Son as the greatest expression of love ever, Jesus, in dying on the cross, took the waters of God's judgment, took the waters of God's punishment on Himself, and in doing so, He parted those waters so that you and I might have the opportunity to walk through by faith and no relationship with the living God forever and ever. Do you see freedom only comes from one place? There's no other religion, no other worldview, no other, nothing else will get you there. 
The only way to life, the only way to genuine freedom is to walk by faith through the way that Jesus has made open for you. Do you know that joy tonight? Do you know what it is to do that journey? Have you come to a place where you've said, I believe that that God's punishment of Jesus was for me, was in my place, so that I might walk into relationship with him, so that I might do that simply as an act of faith. I think it's, as I was praying about this this morning, God just reminded me of Isaiah 43. I want to read these words. God says, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Note this, I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. Another picture of God's judgment and the flame will not burn you. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. And your Savior. Only Jesus does that. And having purchased something at such a great price to himself, he gives it to you and I as a free gift. You won't find grace. You won't find a free gift like that anywhere else. I want you to see something, though, in this, and it's a powerful picture. I I think it's just incredible. How did you know who belonged to the Israelite community? How do you know those who are genuinely in freedom? Well, when the sea you know, like closes in again, they look around and they're like, oh yeah, you're in. Great. They knew because they'd walked through by faith through the waters. I want you to see something. Israel experienced a baptism of sorts. They passed through the waters of judgment and came out on the other side. And they walked through that by faith. It reminds me of a practice that Jesus gave us. He said, you need to get, if you believe in me, if you're going to trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you need to be baptized. Baptism in the Greek literally means like full immersion. And you might have seen, if you're new to church, you might have seen this weird practice. If you're familiar with church, you know, we do it all the time. When somebody comes to a place where they believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we dunk them underwater. (laughs) And and then we bring them back up again. But can you see how the Red Sea that we've just talked about is a powerful picture? The baptism is a powerful picture of that. That God parts the waters of judgment so that his people might walk through unscathed and into relationship with him on the other side. And they do so by faith. They do so trusting that God's God's punished. they, They do so by faith. It's the same for us. And next week, we've got this baptism service, and, and, and it's going to be incredible. And at East, we've got our first baptism service next week. We don't actually have an indoor pool. We're going to the beach. Just pray for weather. No, in fact, pray for a lack of weather. Like, just no weather next Sunday, please. But we're going to gather, and, and we're going to baptize some people. And here's what they're doing when they do that. They're saying, I trust Jesus and Jesus alone to take me through the waters of God's judgment and bring me out safely on the other side. And I just want to challenge you tonight. I just have something on my heart. I just want to say, the way they knew that they were properly a part of Israel was the fact that they'd gone through those waters. The way we know who is genuinely a part of the church is not only do they believe in Jesus, but they're willing to take a step of obedience before Jesus and say publicly, I'm trusting him. And they do so by baptism. 
And I just want to ask you tonight, if you are struggling still with sort of slavery-like tendencies, maybe there are habits that you just can't get beyond. Maybe there are things that you're just embroiled in. You're like, why can't I just break free of this? Can I just suggest that one reason why that might be the case? Can I ask you one question? Have you been baptized? Have you, not, you might say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I don't need to do that. Can I, just, can I just push you on that? And say, if Jesus said, this is a step of obedience, and you're saying, I don't need that, that's your deal with him, okay? But I just wonder if some of us have never taken that step of obedience, and yet God may break through in your life as you're willing to stand up publicly for him and take that step you know what a baptism service next week and 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 maybe if you've never been baptized and you say do you know what? actually i need to do that come talk to us after the service and we'll try and make that happen for you if there's not room in the service come to worship bay next sunday afternoon we'll dunk you i don't know if we'll have a wetsuit in your size anyway can we respond would you stand we're gonna we're gonna head into a time of worship in a moment we're gonna share communion together we're gonna share this bread and, and, and juice that helps us remember this bread and juice that helps us proclaim this incredible truth about Jesus. But just before we do, would you just adopt a posture of just response? Whether You might want to close your eyes, you might want to raise your hands. And just say, before we take another step, before we sing another word, just right before God, would you say, Lord, what is the response today? Lord, I genuinely believe that, that freedom only comes from you lord in in worship we want to remember you and god maybe for us today we need to prioritize those moments of remembering maybe for us we need to prioritize community that's going to help us follow maybe we need to take a step of obedience and actually trust you Lord, whatever it is, you see us right now. This is just a come-as-you-are moment. Lord God, you see us through and through. God, right now, I pray that you'd help us respond in the way that we need to. Lord God, we thank you that you really have made the way open for us to walk in freedom, walk in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you as we share communion right now. These simple symbols that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. That freedom was purchased for us at great expense. Lord, we're so grateful. Would you never, ever, ever let us forget. And though for some of us tonight, communion is so familiar. I pray that as we eat. I pray that as we drink. I pray that as we worship right now. Lord God, I pray that you would reveal the depth of your love and the greatness of that cost to an extent maybe we've never seen it before. Lord, I know that when the more we see of you, the more we change to be like you. And so God, we pray in these moments, reveal Jesus that we might become more like you. We give ourselves to you again in your wonderful name.